O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. I think there's a spirit not of God in our sound system. (laughs) I imagine a good number of us here today have heard the gospel story that was appointed for this morning uh, many times. As I look through the Sunday lectionary, it appears we regularly hear this story in the fall, at least in the northern hemisphere. Interesting. In the church in North America, mid to late fall means stewardship season. Interesting. I wonder if the lectionary elves, perhaps a parish priest or two among them, purposefully put this story about giving until it hurts in the lectionary for the Sunday nearest November 9th for a particular purpose. Interesting. Well, let me put you at ease. I'm not going to preach on pledging your last two coins. I'm going to let Kim do that at the announcement. (laughs) Kim Smith is our stewardship chair, for those who don't know. And furthermore, the widow deserves much, much, much more respect than being used as a stewardship tool. I learned a lot about widows this week, studying these passages. We'll look at the book of Ruth first. There are three widows in the book of Ruth. Naomi, Ruth, and another one whose name does not appear this morning in the text that we heard, whose name is Orpah. Now, Naomi and her husband, to go to the beginning of the story, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, were from Bethlehem and had two sons. And in a time of famine, they all moved to the land of Moab in search of food. Interestingly, Moab was one of Israel's historic enemies, but that's where they went to try and find some food. They get there and then Naomi's husband dies and her sons then marry two local women And then her sons die as well. These three women, Ruth and Orpah and Naomi, had to decide what to do. Because in those days, to be a widow, to be a woman, without a male kinsman connected closely to you, was to be in a very, very vulnerable, vulnerable spot. Well, Naomi decided in this situation to go back to her homeland, to Judah, presumably back to the, the Bethlehem area, where she, still had, where she still had family. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, went with her. And once back there, through a series of family ties, as well as tips for good old-fashioned seduction, look carefully at that passage from Ruth, that is seduction going on there. Naomi saw to it that Ruth married a prosperous relative, Boaz. And together, Ruth and Boaz had a son. And all was right in the world again. Now, on the one hand, it appears to be a fairly straightforward story of finding a man for security. And that makes sense, given the time and place that this story comes from. But I would say that there's something else happening as well. A community of women, a community of women has sprung up around these two, Naomi and Ruth. 
Naomi and Ruth themselves are deeply connected to one another. The text tells us that as good as a son was, Ruth was more important to Naomi than seven sons. That's how important Ruth was to Naomi. And earlier in the book, a part that we didn't hear, Ruth really makes a strong statement of how committed she is to Naomi. Naomi becomes the nurse for this new child. And very interestingly, it's the community of women that actually name this boy. That's that's community. Biblical widows made community. And they made great loss. They made from great loss new life. A community of women, a new community of women, as well as a new child. Those on the margins, it seems pretty clear in this case, those on the margins, in this case women and widows, are powerful witnesses to great faith and the power of community. I think the gospel story about the widow and the New Testament community that would have heard this story in the first century show this as well, show this power of community as well. The literary placement of this nameless widow and her two coins I think is instructive. Jesus' observation about the widow's action is immediately preceded by his comment about the scribes who are a group of officials deeply entrenched in the religious power structure of their day. Scribes, you'll recall from the from the gospel reading, scribes were those who devoured widows' houses. For the sake of appearance, they say long prayers, they wear fancy robes, they get the best seats at public functions, and so forth. That's the the bit that immediately precedes Jesus' observation of the widow. The piece that immediately follows the story about the widow is Jesus foretelling the destruction of the temple. Now, I would say, or this person, Addison Wright, who makes this argument, says, far from commending the widow for her sacrifice of all that she had to live on, Jesus may well be continuing his criticism of the greed of the religious establishment. Only such an establishment would encourage a woman with nothing to dangerously uh, neglect herself for the privileged class of scribes and Pharisees and so forth. And according to Jesus, the power base for that class, the temple, is going to be destroyed anyway. Now, I think there's also there are a number of different ways, other ways you can see that story. I think you can see the widow as a Jesus kind of figure. Jesus himself will give his all for us, his life for us. And likewise, the widow seems prepared to give all. Perhaps that's what we're asked to do as well, to give all for Jesus. And the best followers of Jesus through the ages have been ones who have been more willing to do that, to give up all, to follow him. Widows and the poor and the sick and the orphans. 
those on the margins. What did they have to lose anyway? In any case, the religious institutions of Jesus' day were part of the problem. Jesus is saying to his community, the ones who would have gathered around him uh, in his time, and the ones who were in his community that formed around him after his death and resurrection, he's saying to them, don't exploit the poor. Take care of the poor and all of those who are neglected and marginalized and ignored by society. Now, it's perhaps fitting that the church that was unfolding in the first century was actually figuring out a special status for widows in its community. And the initial hearers of this story may have had first-hand experience of this new grouping. There seems to have been something called the Order of Widows in the early church that both cared for and gave important responsibility to widows, particularly those widows who had no kin of their own were to be taken care of by the church. And thus supported, these widows had a very, very important ministry of their own. They were to help in the care of the poor and the sick and the otherwise neglected in the community with pastoral care, with food, with with uh, presence, with companionship. They were also to help guide younger women in the community in case they needed a little guiding uh, in how they should be conducting their lives. And perhaps most important, they were entrusted with the ministry of intercessory prayer. One of their jobs was to pray for the people in the community and for the world. A pretty incredible an important job. Diana Butler Bass, in her new book, A People's History of Christianity, writes that in the earliest years of the church, before we became an establishment protected by the state, we were exceedingly good at bringing those at the margins into the center. Before we were an institution, we were a way of life whose participants kept ever before them Jesus' command to love, to love God, to love neighbor. And in the first century, in Roman society, that earned us the scorn of Romans whose pagan religions didn't put much stock in loving one's neighbors. Now, the early Christians disagreed about a lot of things, a lot of important things. They, they never really agreed about the doctrine of the Trinity, for example. And I suspect even here, in this place named in the Trinity, there might be some disagreement about the doctrine of the Trinity. There was disagreement about the nature of Jesus. Was he fully man? Was he fully divine? Was he both? How do those parts relate? Not agreement about that either, as well as other things. But there was unan- unanimity, unanimous agreement among the ancient fathers and mothers of the church, that the primary Christian virtue was hospitality. A fancy word for love of neighbor. Outsiders in particular, in particular outsiders, the least among us, as Jesus put it, the unlovely, the unwanted human beings, the sick, the poor, the orphaned, the marginalized, the ones who kind of slow us down, who we find kind of inconvenient. These are the ones 
that we are to bring to the center inside the circle of protection and care and in the process of course the usual relationships are disrupted and reversed even and in the case of widows at least when the margins are brought to the center something beautiful beautiful happens it's called the body of Christ the body of Christ is what happens Amen.